Fringe Radio, your trusted source for the paranormal, conspiracy theory, and true crime. Coming to you live from the Mistopheles Studios, it's Dark Fringe Radio. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. The disease, and I'm the cure. That is power. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on another edition of Dark Fringe Radio. I am your host, Will Martinez, and thank you so much for joining us on another adventure here on the podcast. Uh, just wanted to remind everybody uh, where you can listen to the podcast. Uh, make sure you check us out on our website, darkfringeradio.com, uh, where you can uh, listen to all the episodes and actually have the latest episode on the bottom there on our YouTube link. So also want to remind everybody, of course... Like I said earlier about the YouTube link, uh, make sure you check us out on YouTube at Dark Fringe Radio. Make sure you like and subscribe, and that helps us out tremendously. Uh, tonight, we actually have a very interesting guest. Um, her name is uh, Dr. Kathy Forty, and she is a, a former clinical psychologist. And we're going to be talking about her new book called Stacks, Library of Truth. And it's a very interesting book uh, that she's actually written, and she ties in a lot of her uh, past knowledge of being a clinical psychologist into the book and a lot of influences on the characters and the things that happen in the book. So we'll be getting into all that here in a minute at Dark Fringe Radio. Of course, again, wanted to remind you, everybody, where you can follow us, especially on social media, at Dark Fringe Radio, and Facebook, uh, Twitter, and also X, as known now, and, of course, Instagram. So make sure you go ahead and uh, follow us there. And share and like all our stuff. We're always having a very good conversation uh, on there. Um, I believe today, or I'm sorry, yesterday, we had a post uh, that actually got a lot of traction uh, where we talked about how Italy um, basically banned the sale of lab-grown meat. So very interesting, uh, very interesting thread. I was uh, really interested in the feedback from um, a lot of the listeners and followers of Dark Fringe Radio, which was on Facebook. Um, a lot of them, of course, said that, uh, you know, they would rather eat something else than lab grown meat. But hey, I'd say, hey, I understand. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. So a lot of good, interesting conversation happening at Dark Fringe Radio on Facebook. So make sure you go ahead and follow us there. Uh, and then we're going to be getting into our interview here in a second with Dr. Kathy Forty, of course, the author of Stacks Library of Truth. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight on another episode of Dark Fringe Radio. I am your host, of course, Will Martinez. And tonight we have a very, very special guest. Uh, I, I don't even know how to even begin with this, but her name is <laughs> Kathy Forty, and she is a former clinical psychologist, journalist, and author. Uh, while suffering from a near-death experience in the event that the event left her with a greater uh, creative capacity, inspiring her to write books and invent a patented energetic healing technology for health and wellness. Uh, her latest series, Stacks, Library of Truth and Stacks, Awakening of Truth, a sci-fi thriller, which takes place in Washington, D.C.'s Library of Congress, where a library employee accidentally opens up an interdimensional portal into a library within a library uh, where all truth is stored. Prior to penning her novels, she was a clinical psychologist for over 30 years uh, in the mental health field. Her knowledge of psychotherapy and pathology adds to unusual character depth into her stories. Please welcome to Dark French Radio, Dr. Kathy Forty. Kathy, how I are will. You? Thank Hi. you for having me. Yeah, I'm doing absolutely. great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Kathy, I listen, I have not read this book yet, but I am like itching to read it now uh, because of all the, you know, the research that I've done on it. How did you come up to, well, obviously we've kind of, you know, talked about it a little bit in the intro, but how did this all happen? Tell us about the event that happened that kind of sparked all this uh, creativity for you. Well, I have to say my whole life is read like a sci-fi novel. 
You know, I've had a strange experiences from, you know, um, meeting extraterrestrial beings to having uh, a near-death experience in 2003, where I came back kind of a physics geek and started inventing software, having no knowledge of any of this stuff prior to it. You know, I, I was a I was a psychologist at the time practicing in L.A. when it happened. And uh, then, you know, I. I with the books, uh, one night uh, I had a dream and I had the whole plot of mm. now there's three books, as you can see behind me. Yes, now there um, is. Yes. And, yes. and I just finished the fourth this week, so it should be oh, out wow. next week. You know, okay. I thought it was going to be a trilogy, just kept getting bigger. That's good. And um, and I had this dream about uh, being in the Library of Congress and that there was an interdimensional portal into a library of truth, just like there might be in other libraries across the world, the planet. And I, this was like maybe three, two, three o'clock in the morning. And I, I had to get up and start writing down all these, you know, the plot elements and so forth like that. And, you know, I became kind of obsessed with it. Uh, and although, you know, my undergraduate degree was from NYU in broadcast journalism, and I worked in uh, New York in the news field, uh, you know, my my career took a slight different big turn into <laughs> psychology. So, uh, you know, although I, I was very familiar with how to write, uh, I didn't know how to write, you know, screenplays or novels or anything like that. So that became an interesting experience. And and uh, so I started writing this basically uh, during COVID. You know, I had I'd written a, a pilot for it and, and then COVID happened and so forth. And I had uh, 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 one of the teachers at UCLA who was a friend of mine said, you know, this book has got legs. You you need to write this into a novel. And I thought, oh, it was going to be one one, you know, novel. And, you know, uh, there's three that are like cliffhangers and it, the it ends with uh, Stack's Truth Will Set You Free, the third book. But the fourth book is 20 years later. What oh, happened? Oh, okay. So with when one of the characters, a little psychic girl, grows up, and she's a real force to be reckoned with, and she's dealing with AI. Oh. So, you know, I had to look into the future. And as I'm writing these books, I, you know, I say without any, you know, reservation in my mind, these books felt channeled. Uh, there were concepts coming to me and then, then, then suddenly things like that would happen in real life. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, my, my it's funny how that kind of parallels, right? We're, yeah. We're they said that right? this is nonfiction sci-fi. <laughs> I mean, it takes in the world, the corrupt world of, you know, Washington DC and politics. And I, I mean, I was told, listen, this was in 2019 uh, at the end of 2019, and I used to lead groups to Egypt as well, metaphysical, spiritual groups to Egypt, and and I had uh, I you know I, my my little voices in my head, which were the guides that really came through when I had my near death experience in 2003. They said, "Listen, make sure you get yourself to the Library of Congress in Washington D.C. to do your research no later than the first week of March of 2020." And I kept mm. thinking, "Well, what's the big rush?" Right. You know, and uh, but I did. I listened because when I don't listen, I get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had, you know, I I contacted the librarians of the main reading room and other aspects of the Library of Congress uh, to work with them so I could go behind the scenes in the stacks where all the reference things are. And the public general public doesn't get to go behind there and really make sure that, you know, it, it really was from an employee that worked there, their point of view. They they were wonderful. And I spent a whole week there every day, all day. You know, I know that place in and out, the tunnel systems, the from the buildings and so forth. And a week after I returned, COVID, the whole yeah. country shut down, and so right. did the Library of Congress. Look at that. So I mean, you know, it was very fortuitous timing. And um, you know, there was a few things I had to correct, obviously. Uh, due to um, not being privy to how everything works there. But it, it is a fabulous place filled with symbology. And I was right on about there's Minerva statues everywhere and my secret society in the book. I was told to call it Minerva before I saw all of the Minerva statues there. And right now, you know, it seems like everybody's going down to Antarctica. 
I had the Antarctica connection in my book a long time ago as being one of the portals. Did you see yeah. one of the big things stories that came out today? Uh, actually, uh, I think Iran said that they, they're they're claiming Antarctica. Did you hear that today? Uh, Iran is claiming yeah. Antarctica. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's interesting because everybody, every country has a base down there, right? And people go down there, and you're wondering <laughs> what are, what are they doing down there? It's the right. biggest frozen tundra, you know, right. in the world, and there's not much to see except you know polar Florida bear and, and and things like that. But um, you know. My uh, my my guidance was showing me that people get their marching orders down in Antarctica. Wow! And yeah, uh, yeah. and so um, you know whether it be from you know aliens or a secret government or so forth like that. I'm not saying right now. You know, you'd have to read the books to find of out. Of course, yeah. Let's not give what up too much happening. away. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yes. It's, it's, yes. it's interesting how you have such insight onto into this type of uh you know you know for instance the library of congress i mean you were able to give you were given access that most people don't get and that i think is a very you know important part about how these books are written because you can give firsthand knowledge and like you were speaking earlier about you know uh giving tight you know uh, tour guides or you know having uh, groups get together in in egypt you know, going through those areas, I mean, that, of course, gives you firsthand knowledge as well. And you were, I'm sure you were able to implement that stuff into all all that stuff into the book, correct? Exactly. I mean, you know, those, those the first two pictures you see behind me, I actually took those pictures. Those oh, wow. were from my own camera. And the first one that says Stacks Library of Tooth is uh, the main reading room. And you're not supposed to have any type of cameras or anything in there. But I snuck it in. I, when I did it at the time, I knew it would be the cover of the book. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then there's a underneath li the library. It says library there. There's an unusual clock. And as I'm sitting there and I started to write one of the chapters actually in that main reading room there to get the ambiance of it. And I'm looking up at this clock, which is very ornate with you know, gold, uh, you know, filigree in the whole nine yards, but it's not keeping accurate time. And I thought this is kind of odd for the Library of Congress to have a clock that doesn't work. And so I asked one of the uh, one of the librarians there, they go, oh, that clock has never worked. And I wove it into the story for why it doesn't work, which is 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 interesting in and of itself. The second one, I took that picture well in the uh, in the Grand Hall. And uh, the third one I didn't take. Uh, but, you know, it's sort of like uh, if if anybody hasn't, if you haven't gotten to the Library of Congress, I mean, you need to put it on your on your to do list because, um, you know, when you think it was started by Thomas Jefferson from his own personal library of books and grew over time and is the largest library in the world. And I thought, you know, what better way to hold the secrets of mankind and the world, but to have a library within a library. And not everybody can get to this library. You have to kind of know the algorithm that, that can open up this portal. Just like, you know, I've talked to military people and they said, yeah, we have instrumentation that can open up portals in time and space. And um, so, I mean, in Egypt, I, you know, I, I knew I needed to return to my, you know, other lifetime roots, you might say. Yeah, of course. And of course. Uh, um, uh, Abydos Temple, you know, immediately when I was there at Abydos Temple, it's known for most people as uh, Seti, the first temple. And yeah. when I went there, I knew immediately where everything was in that temple. And then, you know, my own guidance said, well, this was this was the home to the Melchizedek priests. These were the cosmic priests to the priests. They were the futurists. They could see into the into the future. But the reason they could see into the future was that there's a natural stargate inside Abydos Temple. And I had talked to this military guy and he said, you know, he said many years ago, oh, you know, we have we have the technology to bring E.T. home. And he said, we did. We actually uh, brought, uh, um, allowed an ET, we opened up a portal at the Abydos Temple. Mm -hmm. And I remember years ago, you know, when they talked about this one woman called Om Seti, she would always put her hands along the wall looking because she said one day she fell through into like another world. Mm -hmm. 
So he explained what it looked like, the wall, where it was on the property. And every time I went there, I tried to find it from his description. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I wasn't successful. And and one of my guys, uh, his name is Harris. He's an Egyptologist. And I always work with him when I went there. And I started explaining and his eyes lit up and he goes, I think I know what wall that's on. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that many people pass this wall, this hallway going out towards the Assyrium, and they never look at this one wall. And it's almost as if this wall has has some influence that says, nothing to see here, don't look, keep your eyes straight ahead and going on. And there is markings there that show exactly what, what this military person showed me. And my friend had got on on forums with other Egyptologists who have said we've never seen these markings on any other temple throughout Egypt. And I think it has a natural stargate there that sometimes opens on its own. But, uh, you know, with military technology, they found a way, obviously, to uh, open it for their own needs. Of course, of course. So, um, yeah. But I think the Melchizedek priests back then, they knew how to open it. Listen, they, you know, they knew exactly what they were doing back then. I think all this stuff is lost knowledge, honestly. You know, knowledge that's just been lost over time. And, you know, this it really kind of begs a really good question is that, you know, do you think that if there is any type of library of truth, you know, do you think that could ex- actually exist? And where would it exist, do you think? Like, because for me, like, if I think about, you know, of course, you know, if you were to go back through time, you know, the Library of Alexandria, of course, you know, that would probably be one of the, you know, main places you would probably say. But now I would probably say, I don't know, maybe um, down south or maybe in, in Spain or maybe, you know, maybe even, uh, you know, somewhere. Well, well my guidance kind of showed me where where some of these portals were. Right. Okay. And um you know, the records, ancient records for, you know, and uh, histories of civilizations have talked about, you know, knowledge, and they called it the Akashic records. I mean, we've all probably heard of that one time or another, that these records were in, you know, another dimension. And, uh, you know, my guides showed me, at least the ones I was dealing with, that that uh, this this uh, library of truth was actually eighth dimensional. Mm. And uh, so it's not that easy for us to get to it, (laughs) you know, but some people have found their way, you know, with one way or another. And, you know, you know, if you're if you're looking at the world like, you know, some people believe we're we're all in a a simulated reality. And if we are, maybe this is the Kashuk records are just the play manual. Right. Or yeah, exactly. Or just like the the objective describing the characters and exactly. their and their avatars and you know yeah. what this one can do, what that one can't do, what's going to happen, and so forth. I don't know. You know, it's kind of an interesting concept, but you know, most of us don't know the truth. We don't know a scintilla of anything about this world that goes back millions of years. There's so many civilizations. We think, oh, we just lost Atlantis, but uh, there was much more before Atlantis. You know. Billions of years of civilization and stuff lost because, you know, the world, the planet Earth has changed multiple times. We've had pole reversals. We've had land gone down. We've had new land rising. All of that's been. And and when they do find something, you know, uh, a lot of times they hide it because it does not agree with religious beliefs. It would nullify a lot of different uh, dogma that different religions have put forward. And um, I mean, I know just in Egypt alone, they don't like to even consider that those pyramids may be more than 4,000 years old, which, of course, anyone who's got a college degree and is educated like most of the Egyptian Egyptologists these days, you know, it's kind of a wink and a nod. Yeah, we we know it can't go back. (laughs) But 4,000 years would nullify Allah. Right. Yeah, you know, they're Islamic religions, so you know they, you know, it's just like the Vatican. I'm, I'm sure the Vatican has has uh, kept a lot of things secret. You know, the hidden gospels, the Gnostic gospels, so forth, like that. You know, um, we've been lied to everywhere, and so I thought, you know, this how perfect. Right now, we're in an I call it the age of discernment. We're trying to sift 
the wheat from the chaff, what's lie and what's truth. You know, I mean, we may think that uh, it may actually be that everything we thought was true was actually a lie and everything we thought was a lie is actually true, you know. And what better way to find something where this young employee, in at least to the character in the book, you know, can use this knowledge to try to actually free mankind from, you know, the uh, uh, what's been happening to him. So, you know, and he's well entrenched, you know, with his family and politics and everything. So you you and they all have very strange um uh works you know yeah, to them and yeah. that, that's where as you said that's where the psychology was uh my background in psychology came in because this character he's 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 kind of a a, a math genius but he's has acquired savant syndrome and with synesthesia, meaning that, you know, he had a baseball injury when he was young and kind of rewired his head differently at the age of seven. And he sees the world in numbers, synesthesia. You know, yeah. some people see it in colors and music. And, right. you know, some people see people as, as, as hats, you know, and so forth. The mind can do very strange things. This can be both a curse and a blessing. And his these talents he actually have that you know no not too many people do um, actually help him discover what needs to be discovered, and then he has to stay alive as he's trying to you know use deep throat sources to reveal the some of this to the world. Well, so yeah, that's interesting because that was actually going to be my next point. Um, you know, to you know your book and the challenges that uh, the main character kind of takes on. Um, can you talk about a little bit about the challenges? I mean, of course, being a whistleblower in anything these days, um, you can see what some of the challenges that people deal with. I mean, if you want to look at like Julian Assange and some of those type of characters that are, uh, you know, uh, you know, vilified and, you know, imprisoned, uh, you can see what happens to them. But in your book, can you give us a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the challenges the, the main character actually kind of deals with? Well, like I said, his talents in computers and everything else help him stay low under the radar. Okay. Uh, but he does work with, uh, a, you know, an aspiring television, female television reporter in Washington, D.C., who's who's trying to redeem herself because she drinks too much, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's been reprimanded and for not having uh, accuracy in reporting. And now she has to prove herself and, you know, they're stuck coming after her. And so, um, you know, by the time we get to the second book, we're already on Maui, which is wow. where I live. It's where you live, right. And, right. you know, there is a portal here up on Haleakala. Now, a lot of people are talking recently that 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 portal up there may have had some interaction with what happened in the Lahaina fires. Gotcha. Okay. And, you know, I know a lot of people who work, some one who actually was, uh, is a retired uh, park ranger in Haleakala. Mm -hmm. And she would tell stories about they were fooling around with lasers years ago before she retired up there. There's, you know, it's home to space, uh, Space Force Delta II and the 15th Space Surveillance Squadron. I mean, they're looking at everything in space with, you know, um, uh, a fine eye. And, you know, I, I started to talk with people and I did not know. I mean, we don't know half of what's going on in space. It's like a wild west up there. All oh, this is incorporated in the books. And do you know that they have kinetic killer satellites that are satellites within satellites, you know, sort of like those Russian nesting dolls, a doll within a doll within a doll. Right. And those Little satellites come out of the big satellites and go after and maim and destroy other countries' satellites. Everybody's mm. got these things. And they have wow. grappling hooks that they can lasso them in and everything else. And you're just sitting going, really? You can't make this stuff up, you yeah. know? And But they're very hush-hush up there. And uh, so- like modern-day you know, Star Wars, right? Yeah, it's a modern-day Star Wars. You know, I, I figured a way how to- um, incorporate some of this into my books because, you know, I meet, I meet whenever I need to know something, suddenly that person appears to me like in the line at Starbucks or something, <laughs> you know, and I just pretend, yeah. oh, how interesting. I remember once meeting somebody from the 15th Space Surveillance Squadron up on Holly, uh, Maui. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he was dressed in fatigues and he had a patch that, you know, it looked like military, but it didn't look like anything I'd ever seen. And the patch looked very unusual. And I, and I said to him, by any chance, are you with 15th Space Surveillance Squadron? And he goes, he looks surprised and he goes, why, yes, ma'am, I am. How did you know that? Mm, <laughs> you know? Amazing. Right? And so, you know, oh, I'm sure you guys are doing a great job. By the way, what was going on on August 8th in Lahaina that day? Did you see anything? <laughs> <laughs> no comment, ma'am. No oh, comment. no, ma'am. No, no. We can't see anything what you guys think we can see. And I'm thinking, right. yeah. Like, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as a psychologist, I wanted to gauge what his response would be. You know, a lot of times you find from body language, you learn a lot more than the spoken language. Correct. And, you know, that's why I always kind of, you know, come forward as, oh, you know, you know, I, I know nothing, but how, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, for years, people have always told me their stuff, you know, it's oh, sort yeah. of like, yeah. you've got a good ear and so forth. So the, the uh, psychopathology background uh, made my characters, you know, um, one is a little girl who is extremely psychic and she starts working in here. Her mother, her mother is, works in the library and, you know, has a, uh, gets together with the main character. I mean, there's, it, this story has got, it's got uh, thriller, it's got, uh, um, uh, uh, drama, suspense, mystery, and it's mm-hmm. got a good romance story, you oh, know, that's great. Yeah. and uh, everybody wants a good romance in there and a spicy good romance. There too, you go. You know? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely. it's like people say, oh, you can write erotica. Oh, Kathy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> You know, if it doesn't work out, go to, you know, you have another place to go, right? I guess. <laughs> exactly. You know, you right. had to do something during those COVID years. That's right. That's you know? right. And, That's right. Uh, you know, I, I, I write all of my books if, uh, you know, for the first one obviously was at home because everything was closed, but I, you know, all my books are written at Starbucks. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You know what, Kathy, let me ask you a question here. Um, do you think your book is a warning about big technology and, companies getting knowledge and getting information and things of that nature? Well, the fourth book, which is called Stacks Next Generation Truth, which comes out next week. Okay. Um, and that'll be on Amazon. They're all in Amazon, Kindle, print, and Audible. And, um, you know, I said that I had to look 20 years into the future. And, you know, looking with my guidance and seeing what, and the world was a totally different place 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a little, you know, concerning, concerning, and yeah. it takes in, you know, what has happened with the whole AI effect and how indeed there's things that we haven't stopped to consider, you know, and one of the things is that, uh, my guidance showed me is that, you know, earth is a playground, not a playground, a learning ground for human angelic souls, and human angelic souls are not compatible with AI implants and everything else. And if this continues um, and all this, 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 you know, uh, people are not producing or creating, procreating much anymore, it seems yeah, that no, this, this, uh, this dimension will eventually, uh, souls will stop coming to it for learning and this dimension will die out. Wow. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was quite interesting to find, you know, and I, there was a few other things I found out about uh, as I'm writing that and I'm writing it. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, <there's, laughs> um, and, you know, I, I whoever I, I don't think these are my original guides, the ones because the original guides I worked with with the Trinfinity 8 and Ascension 11 software, it's a healing. It's all based on mathematical algorithms. And believe me, I had no math background. You know, they were a whole different set of guidance. Now I think I have muses that, you know, kind of want to do a little warning in the future of, you know, um, this is because my my everyone that says, you know, these these books are very prophetic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, it seems and- to be. Yeah, it seems that way because you're in part you're using, you know, experiences and influences that are in the now, but then also throwing in things that, you know, haven't happened yet. And, you know, have come to happen <laughs> already. So it's very really interesting that you've been able to do that and really, uh, you know, 
circle in on that and be, being able to extract that information and put pen to paper, of course, to it, and then obviously, you know, be very successful with it. Um, do you think books like yours that have a like a very powerful like inner circle of you know a theme of like an inner circle running and ruling the world per se? Do you think that's just um, it's a it's a normal part of our psychology to always think that way, or is it is it something that is it something that now we're just starting to see now because of just maybe so much information that we have at our fingertips versus, you know, what we didn't have 20 or 30 years ago. What's your, what's your take on that? Well, you know, I think all this has been going on for a long time. It's just been very covert Mm -hmm. and now it's more overt and in your face. So we're just becoming, we're awakening and becoming more aware of it. Just like, you know, stacks awakening truth, you know, we're seeing more and more people are coming and realizing that the world or some of the things that they thought are true, you know, have have been skewed a bit or hidden from them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always need a boogeyman. Of course, you know, uh, whether, you know, politics, they look at Russia being the boogeyman or aliens being the boogeyman or, you know, uh, uh, you know, illegal immigrants being the boogeyman. We always need something to feel like we fight against because, you know, it, it seems like why can't we just have peace? You know, why can't we all learn to live together or, you right. know, at some point in time? So, you know, but all books, you know, to make it just like all television series or movies need a good conflict, something to fight and triumph over. Mm -hmm. And if not, it's just a wishy-washy story. So, um, you know, it was always important to me. I like fast-moving, fast-paced. Everybody who reads my book says it reads like a movie script or a television series. You know, the scenes, everything is very visual. And I'm that person. I mean, I need something that has constant stimulation and moving a plot along really so that people are just, you know, they can't stop reading it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get bored easily with some, some books because it's sort of like, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, yeah. uh, you know, it's I like watching problem. a foreign movie and yes. you're practically watching them breathe. The best part's coming up. You're like, what? Yeah, you're still waiting. Wait another twenty minutes, and you'll get to it. Yeah, exactly. No, I I find this all very interesting, uh, Kathy. I mean, this is a great, um, you know, a book that you put together here. Um, You know, I know you had this traumatic, you know, uh, you know, near death experience. I am also a two time near death experience uh, Ah. experiencer myself, so I know uh, kind of what you went through. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you went through and uh, how that kind of sparked all this? Well, there actually is a book out there there called Fractals of God, A Psychologist's Near-Death Experience and Journeys into the Mystical. I mean, I guess if you look me up on Amazon, you'd find that book too. But I was practicing, I was a clinical psychologist practicing in LA at the time, and it was my last client of the day, and it happened to be a Buddhist nun. And, you know, she say, oh, tonight is the night of the Wiesack moon. And of course, I didn't know what a Wiesack moon was. And, you know, it happens every, every like, w- first week or so in May. Right. And, uh, and I said, well, what's that? And she goes, well, it's, it's that time when the veils between dimensions are thin and anything can happen. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Oh, that's kind of interesting. But, you know, I'm as I'm going towards my car um, and I'm not thinking about anything this this nun has said, uh, I felt this whoosh of energy go right out of my solar plexus area. And immediately I felt a profound emptiness, like I was done with my work here on Earth as I knew it. And it felt like all my best friends had left. I mean, it was the weirdest feeling. And I, you know, immediately thought um, like. I'm done with my work here on earth. Does that mean I'm getting ready to die? And if I'm not getting ready to die and I have to feel this, this is not going to feel good. So, you know, I I went home and I was thinking about this. I had some tea. I was, you know, trying to analyze what this could mean because I still felt this profound sense of emptiness and I was sucked into this tunnel. Mm. I mean, I just went into a swirling vortex in my head. I must've dropped the tea because later on the tea was all over me. And uh, I'm going through this this tunnel really fast, horizontal, feet first, and I'm and there's light ahead. And, you know, of course, I think, oh, is this the tunnel everybody's been talking about? If that's the case, did I just die? What did I die of? I wasn't sick. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I, I came to a stop before I could go into the light. I mean, I didn't try to. And I just hovered there. And I actually tried to will myself to go into that light. And everything stopped me. And I couldn't. And I remember thinking, well, this is boring. Well, I didn't find out later that, you know, I wasn't supposed to go into the light, not because I was supposed to die, but that it's actually a reincarnation soul trap. Mm. So, you know, you keep coming back to third dimensional earth, you know, but I found that out later. So I knew that this is my last time on this dimension, you know, Mm. reincarnating. Mm. So, so um, as I'm thinking, well, this is boring. All this energy poured into me, spun me back around, send me back through the tunnel. I got, I was back in my physical body. My whole left side was paralyzed and voices in my head are saying, breathe, Kathy, breathe. And there's nobody around me. I'm just right. hearing these voices. And as I, and they're saying, relax, breathe. I, I realized that for some reason, my heart had stopped and they're trying to get, they're jump, trying to jumpstart me. And as they're saying, relax, relax, you know, I'm hearing clicks, loud clicks in my head as my left side of my body is coming back online and reconnecting. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, you know, I, I felt I could move again, but uh, I felt this pressure in my chest and, and I kept thinking, oh, I got to go see a cardiologist. The voices yeah. in my head saying, you don't need to, you'll be okay. Not until years later did I ever go to, I think it was uh, 15, uh, almost 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not, but 15 years later, I went to a cardiologist for something else. And which, you know, just as a checkup and the first time ever. And even the guy said to me, he said, I can't understand why there's scar tissue on the left side of your heart. Have you ever had a heart attack? Ooh. And I said, uh, uh, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything in my history about it. In fact, I really didn't want it in my history. And mm-hmm. he goes, well, I don't understand it then. So that was actually physical proof that, you know, that yeah. something had happened. But when I got, when within 24 hours of returning to my physical body, I was suddenly obsessed with quantum physics. Mm. I mean, oh, I mean, just, I couldn't stop. I had to go research everything I was reading. These voices in my head were correcting what I was reading on the internet <laughs> saying, you know, well, that's true. That's not true. But that's as far as your race's understanding of this, this, this subject is blah, blah, mm. blah. And this was going on, uh, you know, so, you know, to make a long story short, you know, I kind of figured out some things and they showed me that uh, in essence, I came back to to put together this technology that was all mathematically algorithms, that everything in the universe has a mathematical signature to it. And you need to speak to your DNA in your cellular structure in a, in a way it understands. And math is the language of the universe. So, you know, I thought it was a cosmic joke because, you know, math was my worst subject in school. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't. no, I research it more than anything else, you know, talking about, you know, yep. gematria and things of that nature. And, you know, it all kind of ties together. You know what I mean? Uh, it's very interesting. Now that technology that you were talking about earlier that, um, that kind of came out of this, um, are you talking about Hertz frequency type of, um, um, you know, uh, technology where, you know, it's used for healing. Like for instance, when you hear a certain uh, Hertz, uh, you know, audibly that it, usually helps with the cellular level of your body, you know, whether, you know, depending on, you know, the different, uh, you know, Hertz that it's, is projected. Is that what you're talking about? Well, you know, uh, Hertzian frequencies are, um, are very important, but they showed me there was a quicker way into the cellular consciousness. And that was to be able to, they showed me how to stream these mathematical instructional algorithms to the bodies. Now they actually incorporated the science of fractals, which when you couple that with information amplifies it. And they use certain frequencies to set, it was like a carrier wave to bring in these algorithms to the body. So it was used only as a, and then it was transmitted through a computer-based program, you know, into a digital analog box and through wires into pure quartz crystal rods, 
You know, just like they did in ancient Egypt, the pharaohs carried this one was zinc, one was copper. It was filled with crystalline chips and they changed it over time to balance the the uh, energy of the pharaoh. It was like he never left home without him. They called it the rods of Ra or the wands of Horus. So basically I was repackaging an old, you know, and they learned the Egyptians learned it from the Atlanteans and the Atlanteans probably learned it from the Octurians and, you know, so forth and so forth like that. But, um, you know, so it was a way. And so it took five years to develop. It's out now the Ascension 11 and Trinfinity 8.com, you know, websites and, uh, you know, practitioners from all over the world use it for anything from um, physical issues to emotional release stuff to anti-aging to uh, spiritual uh, and so forth like that. And so, you know, it's it's right now, it's all over the world. And, and you know, then I thought, I, I want to go back to my writing roots. <laughs> you know? and, and then the Stacks books came out of that. And, you know, right. I don't know where that'll end. But, you know, I think you need to, most people, you know, to keep that creativity and curiosity alive, which keeps you young, because I'm 71. It does. It you does. Know? And, you look and, great for 71, by the way. You. Thank you. And that's no cosmetic work, no restily, no fillers, no Botox, nothing. You know, that's pure energy work. All natural. (laughs) You know, all natural, you know, so, you know, that that there's that's the way to do it. And, you know, so I it's uh, it keeps you young if you, you know, do different things. And and like I said, I I believe intense curiosity keeps people young. Of course. So I totally believe that as well. Absolutely. All right, so going back to the book here, so um, talking about stacks and and, and the whole series, um, you know, your 30 years, uh, you know, experience, you know, dealing with, I'm sure, thousands of different patients. Have you ever taken, you know, one of their personalities and brought them into the book? Um, Well, it's funny you should talk about personalities because my specialty as a therapist was dissociative identity disorders ah. and that used to be called multiple personality disorders yes, yes, yes. and you know I stumbled upon this with my first client when I was back in community mental health days before I went into private practice and you know nobody knew what to do with these mo nobody you know even didn't know what they were a lot of times they'd come with a pile you know a file this thick with every diagnosis known to man and you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, what what's wrong with this client? Well, mm-hmm. I, I would have to tell you that, you know, the first one that was in my office, I don't know. There were, I felt an energy shift. And this was before my own near-death experience, but I felt something different. And I found myself saying to the person, hi, my name is Kathy. What's yours? And it was a child. And immediately that's like, oh, my God, somebody found me out. I thought I was hiding. Because yeah. I saw them kept eyeing my children's toys in the corner. And this was an adult. And, you know, it looked like they wanted to play with them. And adults don't usually want to sit there and wow. play with children's stuff. Right. Yeah. And so began, you know, a journey of discovery. And I learned more from those clients than I could have ever have done in a master's degree, my doctorate degree, anything. They don't know what they're doing. You have to unlearn all that stuff once you get out of school and really you know, work with those clients. And I always like to say this one story because, you know, this one client of mine, you know, I think she was my oldest client at the time and she had well over 150 different altered personalities. She'd been oh yeah. Yeah. She had been wow. abused since an infant by multiple uncles and aunts. I mean, it was like going back to like, uh, you know, uh, South Carolina, you know, backwoods swamp type type thing, you know, and everybody was screwing everybody. And, you know, uh, the only way to survive was to, um, was to split off one's personality. It happened to somebody else. It didn't happen to me. That's, you know, it's a survival. It usually happens before the age of seven when the personality is being laid down. And and so some were full-blown alter personalities. Some were little fragments. They may had a smell or a little fragment of the memory or so forth like that. But the reason I'm saying is this because this one client and this, I mean, this really blew my mind. Um, 
she, the doctor, uh, her OBGYN asked if I could come to uh, whenever she had an OBGYN examination. Now, I didn't do this with any client, but she didn't have any family members. And of course, she, she wouldn't want have any of her family members to come anyway. Not. Yeah. Because he, she had had a physical examination prior to that and a child alter came out and thought she was being sexually abused and started screaming. And of course, everybody in the poor doctor's waiting room, you know, uh, really got upset. So um, I made sure before she went that all the little child, uh, you know, infant and small children alters were in a safe spot inside the system. And that two of the, um, uh, adult alters were out for the examination. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the interesting thing. When one of those adult alters were out, it showed all the signs of cervical cancer from the test they took. When the other adult alter was out, no cervical cancer. Wow. They redid the tests and same effect. And the doctor just scratched his, you know, his, and he, I, I, I can't figure this one out. Yeah, so it told me about the power of the mind and how compartmentalized it can be, you know, uh, and the and and, you know, most people, if I tell that story, they're blown away by it because, I mean, parts of oh, her, yeah. you know, were male alters, some were female alters, uh, some were left handed, some were right handed, some needed uh, glasses to read, some didn't, you know, um, some when they were children, they, you know, when they were looking in the mirror in the bathroom, they had to stand on a chair because they thought they were too small, even though they're an adult, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so you you had all of these anomalies. And so, you know, it really gave me, uh, you know, um, an education that I you couldn't get anywhere else. Oh, and I sure. became a better therapist because of these clients. So I saw a lot of strange things. And sometimes I like to, you know, put those into my books, you know, yeah. those who, because most of these, these people who have, uh, you know, who dissociate, dissociate and have many different alters also tend to be high psychics and high sensitives. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes. You know, let me ask you this, you know, staying on that same subject, do you think that these people are able to really just like mentally compartmentalize themselves and become somebody else? Uh, or do you think that they're able to like maybe channel something else that's coming from maybe a different dimension, maybe a different character, a different spirit or something? Are they, you know, because we, we've heard about channelers before, you know, that's been since the beginning of time, you know what I mean? Um, do you think these people are, you know, definitely suffering from a mental disorder or is it maybe, a little bit of both. Maybe are they tapping into something else that we can't tap into as normal human beings or whatever you want to call us? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. What do you, what's, what's your opinion on that? Well, uh, well, it's a little bit of both, you okay. know, um, uh, because they have had to be so hyper alert to danger as a, at a young age, all their life, mm -hmm. their, their psychic abilities get really heightened and tuned, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, and sometimes, you know, they have allowed other things to come into them. You know, uh, you know, we all are are, are able to have, uh, uh, you know, spirit stuff or entity attachments, you know. But, you know, um, most of the time I can figure out what's what's part of their system and what might be, you know, I mean, I remember once a client coming into first time, she had bugs coming out of her eyes and her orifices and <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. Wow. I, I asked yeah. her, I said, when did this start happening? And yeah. she said, I, I was uh, doing drugs and I think it was ecstasy, MDMA she was doing at the time. And she was in such a euphoric, wonderful state that she heard a voice in her head say, hi, can I join you? And she said, sure, come on. And she allowed herself because if you give permission, that's why, you know, anytime you feel something is trying to enter you that doesn't, I always say, I do not consent. I will not comply and immediately drives them away. Right. And uh, she gave consent and she couldn't get rid of it. Of course, at the time I did not have that expertise. So I referred her to somebody who dealt with possession and that kind of things. But, but actually there was one that one client that, um, I prep, I pretty much had mapped her whole system and she was an extensive uh, uh, um, uh, personality uh, client as well. And then one day in therapy, all of a sudden, 
her eyes just fluttered back and an, uh, something, another a personality came out and started talking in biblical these and thous. Oh, and, wow. And, and I'm like, like, who are you? <laughs> you Where'd know? you come from? <laughs> I've seen this client for years and I've never seen this one. What's the story right. here? Yeah. So I, I asked it and the, this personality or entity or whatever identified himself as being from outside the system and, and an angelic entity. Mm. And that th this angelic entity told me that in six months' time, I would be leaving the state, leaving the practice, and that I had, a, I had to start preparing this client for my leaving. And mm. I'm thinking, like, I, I, don't, I don't have any plans to leave the state, you know, sell the practice and so forth. Right. Uh, as it turned out, something did happen, and I did move to another state. Wow. And you know, and then this 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 angelic entity proceeded to tell me things about myself that my client could not possibly have known. No way. Mm -hmm. And then told me about three gifts that were coming to me, and I don't want to talk about because it it's personal. And all Get three it. of those gifts did come to me. Mm. And so then, when they were done giving these messages. Uh, my client just slumped forward like a like a raggedy Adendal, and and she came back and she did not know what had happened. Wow! And and so I know that you know, and and she was very uh, very Christian oriented, very uh, uh, religious. So uh, I'm think she was fine having an angelic entity come through because she was like one of those. Um, Actually, this was this this was the same one that once some one altar had cervical cancer and the other. And mm -hmm. later on, she had many different cancers in life. And she was through every like clinical hospital trial where everybody died except her. And really? she was able to overcome the cancer. And sometimes the 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 uh the uh, doctors would actually be kind of mad at her because they, they didn't understand why she <laughs> like, was you're playing the trick on us? Yeah, yeah. What are you <laughs> doing to us? Yeah. But she was an incredible prayer warrior. Um, and, yeah. you know, so okay. the power of the mind, you want to call it positive intention, you want to call it prayer, whatever you want to call it, really worked for her. So she was able to, you know, uh, make things happen. So, you know, whenever I needed something, I would call her and say, hey, <laughs> it seems yeah. like you have a direct conduit. <laughs> you do, <laughs> yeah. Can I talk to her again or whoever it was? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I need some but, things you, uh, sorted out here, you know? <laughs> right. So, yeah. you know, it, so it could be, as you said, it could be both. There could be uh, some type of, you know, entity in there that, you know, you don't want in there. You know, I find that most of those happen to be with people who uh um, are uh, give themselves away to drugs and alcohol. It weakens their whole etheric yeah. field around them, where it's easier for these identities to attach to them and live vicariously through their, you know, through their drug addiction. You know, it's sort of like, uh, yeah. So parasite, I, I know, I yeah, parasites like parasites. Yeah, yeah exactly. Psychic parasite. So yeah, yeah. It definitely it's interesting. Is. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I've always wanted to know that because, you know, I've always been very fascinated with DID. Um, what's your favorite DID like based movie? Uh, oh, <laughs> mm. um, well, I remember growing up with Sybil. Remember <laughs> Sybil? Know? I remember that one. Yes, yeah, I remember, I that, remember one. that one. Yeah. Um, Have you seen uh, Split by chance? Oh, that's right. Yes, I have seen, seen okay. Split. You know, yeah. sometimes I, I look at certain things I remember over the years and going, well, that's not totally accurate. You know, they that's what I to, want to ask you. I was like, is that accurate or not? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I think there was one, I think it was uh, um, HBO, the United States of Tara or something like that. And I said, you know, they, they're not getting everything right on that. You know, they needed to consult with somebody who does nothing but you know, did and yeah, uh, well, right. I was still in the era of the MPD when I was, you know, when I first came across it, and you know, because I said, you know, that's that's not quite accurate, and you know, they like to call themselves multiples, right? And right. um, you know, uh, they'll be the first one to, to say, oh, that you know, that person doesn't know what they're talking about <laughs> because you know, they, they have, and I've had some MK Ultra ones, but they didn't last oh. long in therapy because as soon as you start getting close to the truth, 
they they seem to have some type of uh, uh, alter personality uh, in there that was built in as a scrambler personality to go back and report to really? uh, their handler or whatever. And all oh. the oh, there's only two of them, two MK Ultra, and they both came from military intelligence families. Of course, that's usually so what I, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you learn a little bit, but you, you it's very rare you can get them to stay in therapy. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Going back to the book, Kathy, um, you know, you have you're, you've come out with the fourth one coming out next week. You know, you, you've, you're on a, a heck of a roll. You're tapping into something very powerful here, obviously. Um, tell me if you can, have you faced any challenges, you know, writing these books, you know, you know, have you had any people, you know, come out against you? Um, and if you did, you know, how did you overcome all those things? Uh, knock on wood. <laughs> all right. I, yes. I have not had <laughs> any yet. Maybe, maybe I'm flying kind of low under the radar. I've had many psychics look at me and go, Ooh, you're well protected, mm -hmm. you know? And um, because I believe that there's, there's uh, forces out there that want this truth out. Uh, it's not to say that I'm, you know, I'm immune to anything. Right. Uh, but, you know, all of this stuff I put under the guise of science fiction. So I think they're thinking, uh, nobody will really, you know, it's just a story. Mm. I mean, if I came out and wrote this as nonfiction books, uh, you better believe I'd be on the radar really much faster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very quickly. And some of these, some of these things that are in the book experiences I've in the book that I've woven have been some of my own personal experiences. My friends know which ones are mine. That's, that's I mean, awesome. I've, I've explored the, the water tunnels underneath the great pyramid. I've been under up the ass of the Sphinx under the tunnel there. <laughs> you know, I mean, a number of things because uh, um, I always find a way to get into places that I really want that, that, you know, uh, that most people don't aren't able to, and uh, I like to incorporate those into the stories if I can. If there's a natural way to put it in, and there were a couple places in there where there were natural places to incorporate Kathy's personal stuff. That's awesome. I love that. You know, I, I find um, I'm trying to write a book personally, so I've never written anything before, so it's my first time, and it's something that I've been procrastinating and doing for so long, but I love the concept of being able to bring in a personal story or a personal experience into a book, and then only certain people actually knowing about it, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of like, you know, <laughs> hoping and, and having that, you know, that experience later on, but um, one more thing I wanted to ask you is... Um, what do you hope readers will take away from your book? I mean, this is such a fascinating book. There's so many different aspects to this, but what do you think the underlying, um, you know, uh, meaning or maybe a mantra is under this book? Well, um, I, you know, that you got to follow your truth, you know, and don't, uh, don't take anybody else's truth. I'm kind of anti-guru-ish because I believe we all have the truth within ourselves and we are our own gurus, you know, you want right. to call it. Yeah. And once we give over that power, like, oh, so-and-so says this, and this is how I must think or believe, you've given away your power, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just dropping breadcrumbs. And, right. uh, you know, if you resonate with it, fine. But, you know, don't believe all of my truth. I mean, even in the book, there's something about, praying mantis beings, I have actually run into a praying mantis being, and I'm not talking about in a dream state. Oh, yeah. I believe in those two. I, I really do believe they exist. I mean, they're the, yeah. Well, that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. That's amazing <laughs> that you had that experience. I mean, uh, you know, was it, you know, you were completely lucid at that time? Oh, my gosh. I was doing remote viewing. Oh, you were doing remote viewing. Okay. All right. And that's that's when, I mean, I was taught by the granddaddy of remote viewing, Russell Targ, who with mm -hmm. help put off ran the, you know, the uh, um, Palo Alto Research uh, Center working with uh, Yuri Geller and uh, all those guys, remote viewers for the military. And I happened to be living in upstate uh, in, um, in, in California at the time. And I was at a New Year's Eve party. And that's when I met Russell many, many years ago. And we were, a number of us were talking to him and he goes, yeah, I can teach you how to do it. So we set up outside of the party, you know, and uh, so, you know, I learned to do it. I'm not to say, you know, I'm uh, Joe Monegle, uh, mm. Mon McMonagle. McMonagle, uh, right. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
you know, abilities like right. some of them. But, right. you know, I've, uh, you know, it's usually when I'm not trying that That's I find myself in places that, you know, um, I'll just tell you briefly, that was one time um, I was uh, in the uh, desert doing a remote viewing, not remote viewing, I was doing a contact in the desert uh, in the beginning. With Stephen with Dr. Greer. Greer. Yeah, yeah, many years, many, yeah. many, many, many years ago. And, you know, it was out in the desert nowhere, you know, there was no roads, no lights and so forth like that. And uh, I, I was doing some remote viewing and I found myself remote viewing over uh, a military base. And the reason I knew it was a military base, because I could see the insignia on the plane tail and I knew it was an American plane. And I thought, I don't want to be remote. Viewing I want to be around here. <laughs> you no, know, because I knew right. intuitively that they could lock onto me. Right. And so I just jokingly said, oh, I'd rather know where the alien bases are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Here are all the red flags. Went off. <laughs> uh, you know, just jokingly. And, right. you know, that's that's it. Half the time when you're just, you know, joking around, that's when things happen. You try to make it happen. It doesn't happen sometimes. Right. right. And I heard as clear as my head, well, look for the artificial mountain. And, of course, it's in the dark. How are you going to look for the artificial mountain? But I found myself going over to this uh high, high mountaintop, you know, and there, it wasn't open, there was no opening, but I found myself going down deep into it, miles down to it. And I mm. got down to the bottom and there's all these huge tunnels. I mean, that you could, you could run planes through right. and I didn't see anybody down there. And it was lit by some mysterious, I mean, it was bright white light, but there was no like uh, lighting oh. source. Right, no yeah. lighting source, no shadows, right. nothing. And, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, what is this place? And I found myself drawn over to this one area and I saw writing on the wall. And, you know, I, at that time I, I was familiar with hieroglyphics being, you know, going to Egypt so many times mm -hmm. and a little bit with the Sumerian and ancient cuneiform, but it didn't look like anything I'd ever seen. I don't know what language it was, but it was all symbols. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, suddenly I felt like I should look behind the wall. And I did, you know, in my mind's eye, look behind the wall. And there's this 10 foot tall praying mantis sitting there on a pillow, like almost like he was meditating. And his his antenna were going out like this, you know, like he was sweeping the room. And I knew immediately as soon as I got in there, he knew I was there. Oh, boy. And I didn't feel any uh, malevolence, but, you know, I immediately knew, like, you don't belong here. And I felt his energy push me out, and I was propelled right back up through the through that mountain and back into my chair, you know. And, and uh, I said to Stephen later, I think this is the next day, I only saw a praying mantis, you know, really weird-looking creature. And he goes, oh, yeah, they're kind of the teachers of the, of the, the cosmos. And so I asked my guides and he goes, no, that's not the full story. Mm. Because Greer was of the belief that they're all good, which right. I personally think is terribly naive. No, that's, yeah. And yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to think that. I would love to think that. And it would be great if that was true. Yes. But, it's no, like no. saying all humans are good. Correct. 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 <laughs> and so what my guides show me, and I remember from abduction cases, sometimes people who ran across the little gray, you know, beings, you know, uh, that they would sometimes see a mantis, praying mantis standing in the background watching and not saying anything, but just watching. And what my guide showed me is that the praying mantis are the instructors of the little grays. Oh, they're they're the power behind the little grays and they're making the grays get the bad rap when actually they're the ones orchestrating all hmm. of this. Hmm. So, um, I, you know, it's sort of like, oh, it's very interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> so you got caught tiptoeing on the wrong side of the the, the garden. As that's amazing. So, I mean, story. you know, how often do you remote view and get to see a praying mantis? I mean, I, you know, I, I remote <laughs> viewed all the tunnels in, in, in the Great Pyramid. And sometimes I'm telling them, okay, if they open that up, you know, it's just like above the Grand Gallery. I saw there was a big gap up there. And I think because I saw what looked like a little tiny, smaller shaped pyramid, I believe that the capstone is actually above the Grand Gallery. 
and it really? doesn't quite come to a core vaulted, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and when they did the scan the pyramid projects way after I said that, you know, they saw, found that there was a bit of a void up there, but they never said anything else. They're not going to run any fiber optics to see if that's indeed where that the capstone was concealed uh, for the thing. So, so yeah, you know, it's sort of like, uh, it's, it, it, people you never say, know what oh, you're going to get. I had all these experiences. And I said, sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Yeah. You, you go to places where, you know, if I'm curious, my guides will take me. And, and, but, you know, other times, I mean, I, I found myself on, uh, on that uh, Niburu, you know, I was mm -hmm. curious about that. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, but I don't do it that often, but once in a while it happens and, and I get some real interesting information and uh, I, you know, if I can, I try to weave it into a book. That's awesome. That's, I mean, amazing. Kathy, I mean, you're an amazing person. Uh, you've written these amazing books. I, you know, I wish you no, nothing more than just, you know, you know complete success and, and, and continuance here. Uh, where can readers find your book? Where can they find all the other books? Where can they find everything? Okay. It is, uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can get it. It's in print mm -hmm. and audible. And, uh, and uh, the first three books are, uh, like I said, Kindle print and audible. Um, the, the new book coming out will be in uh, print and Kindle. Um, I have no plans yet to do the audible on that, but, uh, you know, that should be out shortly, but, you know, all you got to do is go to Amazon and Kathy Forty and all my books will come up and, Wonderful. you know, it's best to, it shows book one, two, and three. So that make sure that you read them because each of the first two books has a bit of a cliffhanger and, you know, but it got to read them in order. Yeah. You got to read them in order. And it does have an ending in, uh -huh. in the third book. Truth will set you free. Yeah. Gotcha. So. Oh. Well, wonderful, Kathy. Listen, thank you so much for coming on Dark Fringe Radio tonight. Uh, well, I'm going to uh, you know, urge all of our listeners to go ahead and, and look at uh, and follow all of your stuff and, of course, pick up those books. I mean, uh, I can't say enough about you. Thank you so much for coming on uh, tonight. And you've been uh, one heck of a guest. Thank you so much. Thank you, Will. All right. Thank you so much, Kathy. Dark Fringe Radio, your premier source for the paranormal, conspiracy theory, and true crime.